Welcome to Whitefields Church Podcast. Our focus is to help you grow relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, this is Palm Sunday. It's a great time to reflect. Uh, it's known as Passion Week in some churches, a Holy Week in other churches. Uh, I like to personally refer to it for myself as Relationship Week because this is when God himself brought to culmination the plan for fellowship of I see hands going up. Is there something I'm missing? Oh, okay. Yeah, well, let's all do it. Everybody raise a palm to the Lord, Palm Sunday. <laughs> I thought maybe my mic wasn't on. <laughs> um, but I like to refer to it as Relationship Week. It's the culmination of what God had in his heart for mankind to be brought into full fellowship with God. Now, I know we have the kids in here today, so part of this message today, kids, will uh, speak to you, I hope. It's about a giant camping trip. How many of you kids like to camp? Yeah? Some, some of us here, I know personally, love to spend the summer in tents, but that won't last forever. Just letting you know that. But we're going to talk about a camping trip that lasted 40 years. Anyway, we want to begin today in Matthew chapter 21, if you'll take a look at that. It's about Jesus entering Jerusalem. They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, put on them their cloaks. I'm, I'm going to read it down here. I have it on the back back there. I love that. But um, it's also in Russian, and I get confused. Now, my grandsons tell me it's easier to read Russian than it is to read English. So maybe we should all learn. Okay, uh, in Matthew 21, beginning with the seventh verse, we see most, um, the two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Now, I'm one of these introspective thinkers. I like to always think, what was that person thinking? What would you think if I told you, I want you to go over to Carr's parking lot. There's a 65 Mustang convertible with a 289. Did they have 289s? In? Yeah. And um, I want you to uh, just go and fire it up and bring it over to me. The Lord has need of it. You'd look at me and say, I ain't doing it. But I wondered, you know, it's in their minds. What Jesus tells them these radical things. Just go get me this colt and bring it to me. And they did. That's the key. Most of the crowd, uh, they threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it, and most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, 
And the people all around him were shouting, praise God, Hosanna to the king. Praise God, Hosanna. Everybody shout Hosanna. Hosanna means praise and adoration. Praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I love that communion this morning as, as Michael read those blessings on everything they do. Um, it's amazing. That takes real practice. Uh, let us know how that works out for you, Michael. Um, Praise God in the highest. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The world wasn't a whole lot different. The season that they all lived in, their world that they were in, the the center of economic power, the center of military power, the center of civilization, if you will, at that point in time, was in the same uproar, same climate politically, divisions, dissension, just religion, everything was happening at this point, just like it is today. Just like it is today. Jesus said this about today. He said, you know, Like in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man when I return. And I don't think he was condemning that. He was just saying people lived their life without noticing. People were living their lives without seeing what's going on. And they were just trying. One of the bumper license plates on the car next to us coming to church this morning said, Survivor. And I thought, that is not what God called us to. He did not call you to be a survivor. He called you to be an overcomer. Anyway, so Jesus comes in, and they're all shouting at him, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he. All the disciples that have been with him to this point in time are pretty excited too. They're finally like, wow, it's finally going to happen. I'm going to have my position. I'm going to have some security. Obviously, I'll have an income, uh, which I haven't had up to this point. Jesus has made us go out without any food or groceries or anything and just said, go. And, you know, that was great experience. That was fun, Jesus. But, you know, how, how long can that last? So they're thinking... He's finally coming in to power. Finally coming into power. Finally bringing everything to that point. And then Passion Week, you you think you've had a... Have you ever made this comment? Oh, what a week. This was what a week. This was an incredible week. So much happened. So much happened because it was driving Christ. It was taking Jesus to fulfill a purpose. And it was the passion of God in him for the love of his creation, for you and me and for all mankind. It was that passion 
that drove him to ultimately the cross. But Jesus enters Jerusalem. All of Jerusalem's in an uproar, it says. All the peoples are pra praising him. Who is this man? And it reminds me of the scene in Gladiator where he comes out into the arena and they're all yelling, Maximus, Maximus, Maximus. And uh, the uh, emperor's sister's sitting there and she's trying to protect his life. She, she loves him secretly, right? And she says, he says, they embrace him as one of their own. It's a great classic line in the movie, The Gladiator. How many have seen The Gladiator? How many have seen it more than once? Yeah, I like you people. Um, and he says, they embrace him like he's one of his own. And she makes this statement. The mob is fickle, brother. They won't remember him in a month. Or they, they, she said, he will be forgotten in a month. I wonder how many people that were opposed to what Jesus was doing had that same thought. The people embrace him, but the religious leaders were, he'll be forgotten in a month. We'll get rid of this guy, and we'll move on. Well, they got rid of him, and he moved on in power. But let's get a picture. The political climate, the religious climate was much like it was today. And right after entering this, the first thing that Jesus does is he goes to the temple. That's what you do. That was the custom. That was the religious order. That was what was necessary to fulfill all that was said and to take place. And then he leaves the temple and goes to Bethany. And on the way to, and I'm only going to pick out three things this morning. He goes to Bethany. He sees a fig tree in Mark chapter 11 in verse 12. And I've always puzzled over this for the longest time because it speaks of faith. It says, on the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry Okay, I'll just go there. The next morning as they pass by the... Oh, okay, when, uh, where am I? 11, 12. The next morning as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry... He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if, it, if he could find any figs, and there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Now, see, I pondered this for many, many years. I'm still pondering it today um, because obviously Jesus would know the seasons. And Jesus said to the tree, finding no fruit on it, he says to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him say it. And when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and they began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifice. So he, he curses the fig tree. He goes back and cleanses the temple. 
driving out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifice. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace, and he said, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. And we're going to skip on down. The next morning in verse 20, as they passed the fig tree, he had cursed. The disciples noticed it and withered. It had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered that Jesus had said that the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. So I'm looking at this fig tree and I'm the representation of it and Jesus cursing it because we're going to get into curse here in a little bit. Um, the cross itself was a curse. to bring about, to bring about the reversal of everything that had happened to humanity to where the cross is no longer the curse, but the cross is salvation. So I'm looking at this fig tree and I'm saying, well, it's about faith in God. If I believe in, if I have faith, well, faith right there speaks to relationship with God. It's not about having faith that you can actually move a mountain. There is a great mountain right out our window of our home and out these windows here called Pioneer Peak. And I've, I've attempted this several times just to see when it's going to kick in. I'm like, could you move over? I don't have the faith to put you in the ocean. And I don't want a tidal wave, but just move over. Didn't happen. It's not about Faith to move mountains alone. It's about faith in God. And it's God who moves mountains. It's about faith and relationship with God. And God has the power of salvation. So what does the fig tree represent? I believe that it represents religion and all the religious the understanding of God to this point in, in uh, the Jewish, in Israel, of their understanding of God, he was saying, I believe Jesus was saying, you will not have fruit from this religious order ever again. There will not be sacrifices of sin that redeem you from this religious belief any longer. It will only come through the cross that I bear. You following me? We good with that? Going to take me out and um, question my, <laughs> my theology. Heretic. 
my wife and I, a few years back, went to uh, Colorado to help out a church that was in dire need. And they had been a very flourishing church at one point in time. They went through a rough, really rough patch. Some bad things happened between the pastor and the secretary. And uh, so the church really fizzled. And they called on us to come down to see. And we went there with the idea that this church is either worth resurrecting or at least giving it a decent burial because it had been a a flourishing church at one point in time. And um, I got this thought, you know, this would be kind of cool. I'd like to be an interim pastor. An interim pastor has an interesting life. It's a lot like Jesus entering Jerusalem. When you first get there, they're all like, blessed are you that comes in the name of the Lord. It's good to have you. And after you've been there a little while, they start saying, By what authority do you speak? (laughs) And you want to get out of there before they get to number three. Crucify him. Anyway, that's my take on the fig tree. And I think the end of the lesson is this, that Jesus teaches forgiveness. The cross of Christ is about forgiveness. It's about the mercy seat mercy seat of God. Now, I want us to talk about this camping trip. With God, everything to this point led to the cross. It was in his heart from the beginning, leading us to the cross. So, I want to take us to a story of of Israel and Balaam. Now, Balaam was a prophet. Do we have that picture? Can we get that up? Uh, Balaam was a prophet uh, that was known, and Balak was a king of of an area that Israel had become encroached upon. They're going throughout the wilderness. Now, kids, y'all with me? This is your 40-year camping trip. Y'all like to go camping, right? How would you like to go camping for 40 years? fighting mosquitoes and who knows what. So Israel's going about camping. They're on this 40-year camping trip. And uh, I know we've heard all the jokes. It's because the men would refuse to ask for directions, all that kind of stuff. And that could be partly true, you know, if they would have all surrendered. And uh, we see the story of Balaam. Now, Balak hired Balaam, who was known as a prophet. And Balaam had uh, been hired by Balak before and uh, to uh, prophesy and put a curse on other countries that Balak uh, wanted to have victor victory over when he would go to battle, okay? So here Balak sees Israel coming close, and he's, he's frightened. He's concerned. These guys have won everything. They've taken over the land. Everywhere they've gone, they've defeated the enemy. And so he sends to his friend Balaam, this has worked in the past. You've put curses on the armies 
uh, that we fought before and we've won. I want to hire you to put a curse on Israel. And Balaam said, eh, I don't think so. But Balak prevailed. He said, no, I'll pay more, whatever it takes. We've got to have this curse. We're going to put a curse on Israel. So ba- Balaam finally submits. He, he gets on his donkey. We all know the story of the donkey on the camping trip, and that is don't take donkeys on camping trips. That's the moral. The donkey sees the angel and doesn't want to proceed. Balaam doesn't see it, beats the donkey, so on and so forth. But finally, finally, he goes and he starts making, he has Balak make the sacrifices that he thinks would satisfy God, that would bring about him the ability and the power to put a curse on Israel. And Balak would do those things, and then Balak would take him up to the high place, and he would look down on Israel, and this is what he would see camped in the wilderness. He would see the, the camp of Reuben, which is 151,400 going out to the south side. He'd see the camp of Ephraim, which is 108,000 members to the west side, and uh, the north side, the camp of Dan, uh, which was 157,000, and then 186,000 in Judah, and then Levi, the priests in the center with the tabernacle, which held the mercy seat. And every time Balaam would look down to put a curse on Israel, what would he see? A cross. And he could not put a curse on Israel because of the representation that the cross meant salvation. Every man, woman, and child, no matter how long you want to take on a camping trip, will at one day come to a point in their life where they have to face the cross and the surrender of their tiny will for God's will. There's no escaping it. Balaam tried and tried and tried. He couldn't get past the cross. Men have tried and tried and tried through years and years to find a way to heaven. You can't get there unless you go to the cross. So I'd like to lay out today, Palm Sunday is about coming in your life to a place of surrendering yourself to the cross of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that God made, and finding the mercy seat. I remember the moment I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I had believed in God. I grew up going to vacation Bible school, and I learned a lot of little things about it. But I didn't know how to live it out. And then I met this woman, and she was driving me crazy with let's read the Bible stuff. And... uh, came at this point in time where I said, Lord God, I need you. I need Jesus in my life. Now, I was living an okay life. 
not according to anybody in this room <laughs> would think so. <laughs> but according to my peer group, we were all pretty righteous dudes. Every person comes to a place and is given an opportunity, like Balaam. Just like Balaam. And look, look on the cross and say, when you truly look at the cross, you say, I can't go past that. I can only surrender to it. I can only surrender to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for me. And to me, that brought about relationship. And it's relationship that I think this whole week is about so that I could go from where I was at, I'm a pretty good guy, I'm okay, arguing with Nancy about who God is, arguing with Nancy, you know, all the time deep in my heart going, well, I know Jesus is the only way. And when I'm in my 60s, I'll give up my ways and I'll sneak in. That's exactly the words I used. God had a different plan. He sent me this woman. Maybe God will send somebody to you. If you're a single guy, maybe he'll send you a good woman. He will if you ask him. Maybe you're a single gal. Take my advice. Stay that way. <laughs> um, maybe you're young and you have never surrendered yourself to Jesus Christ yet. You're like, well, I'm young. I've got my whole life ahead of me. I don't want to give up fun. Nobody's asking you to give up fun. God never asked you to give up fun. He doesn't ask you to be a grown-up in 10 minutes. He's asking you to enter into my kingdom, and you're going to have a whole lot of fun because you can do a lot of the same things of, of, of life, living life, but from a place of freedom, from things that are hindering or will hinder your life. So I suggest you read this week, take your time to read all about Passion Week and see what it speaks to you about God leading you to relationship that he brought about salvation to you. Now let's all stand. Pastor, do we have anything special for closing? Or All right. I look out, I know most of you. but I, I don't want to miss an opportunity. How many feel they're lacking? Go ahead and close your eyes. Feel you're lacking in a true relationship with Jesus Christ where you know that you have been saved and set free and given eternal life through Jesus Christ. I'm not going to ask you to make a, a decision right now I'm going to ask you to surrender your heart to this week, pursuing this Jesus. And next Sunday, when we recognize resurrection of Christ Jesus, it says he's the door, and he's the doorway. He's the doorkeeper and the door. The door, if you notice, always swings in. Think about it. The doors on your house swing in. 
You don't want a door that swings out. He says, and if you'll open that door to me, I'll come in. I'll abide. I love that idea. He doesn't say, I'll just come in and, and you'll be saved. I'll wipe you with some oil of anointing and, and I got to go. He says, I'm going to come in. I'm going to abide with you and I'm going to give you an abundant life. So full, so glorious that you'll look back and in the years to come, you'll look back and you'll say, thank you, God. Now, we're coming to Resurrection Sunday next week. I want you to read the all about what Jesus did in this week is so full of a week. And if you've never accepted Jesus, prepare your heart to receive him. You can do it today. You don't have to wait. But I want you to really do it with forethought. I want you to really find Jesus, the one that will come in and abide with you. Thank you for joining us today. Please make sure to subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit our website, whitefieldsalaska.com. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you today.